All right, come on, Red Rocks Church, make some noise. Come on, give some praise to the name above every name. What kind of day of church are we gonna have? Let's go. Say hello to the amazing women at our GBB location. Ladies, we love you so much. Online location, everybody up in the overflow, your legends, your heroes. You guys, welcome to Red Rocks Church. And before you sit, I wanna read for you a story in scripture called the Parable of the Talents for week two of Kingdom Builders. This is a story that Jesus told to try to let us into what God thinks in his heart when it comes to the topic of money. And this is Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14, when Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with the two bags of silver also went to work with it and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. I just want to have real talk today about God and money. So I thought I'd call this message Real Talk About God and Money. God, we love you so much. We echo once more the the prayer of that song, fling wide the gates of heaven, unleash your presence on this place. Just a glimpse of your glory is more than enough. Speak to us today, we love you, and pray this in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. You guys, once again, if you have room, scoot in. I see a lot of smiles, which is good. To quote Buddy the Elf, we love smiling. Smiling's our favorite. And I just think sometimes as Christians, we need to remind our faces that Jesus is back from the dead, amen? And that he loves you exactly the way you walked in here and way too much to let any of us leave the same. I don't know about you, but that's good news for me. So welcome to Red Rocks. Um, In the 1990s, if you were to, to ask the question, what does the American church need more than anything else? Guarantee you the answer most pastors and church leaders would have given is relevance. The church needs help being a little bit more relevant. Now, just to jog your memory about the 90s, in case you don't remember or in case you weren't even born, my gosh, I feel like I'm getting old, but let me help you out. There were these things called blockbusters on every single corner. Um, Movies like Jurassic Park looked real, all right? Hey, I don't know about you, that T-Rex scene still looks pretty real to me. Uh, People walked around saying stuff like got milk and what's up? That was terrible. I shouldn't have done that. But uh, milk mustaches were all the rage. For some reason, we we drank a lot of milk in the 90s, okay? Beanie Babies were the cryptocurrency of the 90s. Britney and the BSB released their very first albums, Millennium, anybody? Remember that album featuring songs like Larger Than Life, I Want It That Way, and Show Me the Meaning of Being Lonely in that order, And then Britney's first album featuring Baby One More Time, Crazy, Sometimes, and Soda Pop, also in that order. Anyways, moving on. 
In the 90s, the church needed to be more relatable, so to speak, to the rest of the world. That's why preachers would drive Harley Davidsons out on the stage for sermon illustrations and preach repelling from the ceiling. That's why churches would would do attractional programs for Christmas and Easter and with pyrotechnics and flying little drummer boys and of course an Aerosmith cover in between the announcements and the sermon and the heart, the heart was good and it was really, really needed because nobody outside of the church felt welcomed in the church. And if you think that's still true today, to an extent it is, but it was truer to a larger extent back then. And the gospel should be attractive to people who don't know Jesus. The church needed relevance, but today the answer to that question is quite different. What does the American church need more than anything else in 2023? Trust. Trust. For a long time list of reasons in our cultural moment. There has been a breakdown of trust from people towards any large organizations or institutions, certainly the government, I don't have to convince you of that, a lack of trust towards political leaders and the media and even even the church. In the last decade, there's been a lot of faithfulness and a lot of failures, but the faithfulness doesn't make the news and it never will. So the church needs to build trust. That's why this generation values authenticity so much. That's the number one tidbit of feedback we get from y'all like in the lobby. I love how authentic this church is. I don't wanna be feared into something. I wanna love something. I want it to be genuine. I need to know that I can trust this place despite its imperfections. So in the spirit of real talk today about God and money, I just, that's my goal. I'm like, God, you bring up the topic of money, especially in church, guarantee you there's heart rates that are up right now. I would love just a heart rate monitor on everybody with info on this LED screen and I just say money and you just watch what happens because it's such a personal topic to all of us. And and not even in church, you could be at Velvet Taco later. Somebody says, can I challenge you on your finances? And you're like, like you get so mad. And I go, why, why is that? What is that? There's a reason that Jesus talked about this topic by far more than anything else because it's so personal. It can be so heavy. Money just has such a way of, of gripping our hearts. And so like preaching about it at church when there's already a lack of trust in our culture, I go, God, just help me. How do I like cut my heart open on stage and show people the motives and mission of this church? Help me to do that. And so I just, man, my prayer is that you'd feel the pressure in this room just release. Because if you could feel that, that would, pre- that would free me up to preach this the way I feel it in my heart. If you're visiting at all, we need nothing from you. God wants nothing from you. I'm happy you're here. I'm even happier you're here today than Christmas. Because today, you just get to watch and have your faith be built as you see an uncommon church full of real people with real burdens and bills and lack, just like you, live in a way and do something that seems crazy and illogical to the rest of the world. Live from a space of generosity. That is so counterintuitive, especially at the end of every year when everybody is just holding on to everything that we have, especially resources with with closed fists. That we, we live in a way that we go, God, whatever I have is yours. I'm part of a bigger story than myself. Seems crazy, unless Jesus really is the son of God and back from the dead, unless heaven and hell are real, unless the church of Jesus Christ really is God's plan A for reaching a lost and broken world and there's no plan B, 
uh, unless we really are sons and daughters of the God of the universe with unlimited access to his infinite kingdom, well, if that's true, then all of a sudden, living from a place and space of generosity might be the most responsible way to spend your life on this planet, which, by the way, David described as a mist here today and gone tomorrow, that we are kingdom builders. We are here to build the only kingdom that is or will ever be unshakable, the kingdom of heaven. I got no tricks up my sleeves today. Um, thought about wearing a cutoff just to prove to you there's no tricks in here, but the backlash I'd get for the next five years is just not worth it to me. Um, I've got no obligation for you or instruction for you. Like, if you're here and you go, man, I don't, I don't trust the motives of this place. Oh, how convenient a message about giving at a church from the guy who works at the church. Just real talk, I get that. I get that. I'm like, God, how do you, how do you cut your heart open with words in front of everybody? And, and I guess the best way we've come up with is I would challenge you, just give somewhere else. Give somewhere else. Let me give you some truth from God and you apply it somewhere else. That's been like our mission. We say this all the time. We're not, we're not, we're, we're trying to build a generous generation of Christians, not just keep some lights on in a building. How puny and small is that vision? God's got this church. And if every Christian took what we talk about today and applied it, there, there, there'd be lights on in every building, in every church. There'd be no more world hunger. There'd be no more poverty. Like, that's how powerful we're, we wanna see a generous generation of Christians so I can say, give somewhere else and mean it with all my heart. And keep coming here. I love that you're here. Worship with us. Drink all the coffee you want. Let us teach your kids about Jesus while you're at it. There's no, I'm not kidding. This is not a trick. And give to one of, one of these churches. These are churches that mean a lot to us within a five-mile radius of here. Antioch, Austin, the lead pastor, J.D. Griffin, he's one of my good friends. He's a man of God in every way. New City Church is a church plant right now. They're in their launch phase. I promise you they would not mind if you gave there. Celebration Church has always just been our big brother in Austin, making the same heaven as us more crowded, and they're crushing it right now. If you gave to any of those churches, that would be good seed going into even better soil. And if you just don't trust the church in general, don't let that stop you from living a life of generosity. Go talk to one of our partners out in the lobby and give there. Go to Compassion.com, and for $38 a month, $38 a month, for a kid in a third world country, you will put food in their belly and send them to school. And you will experience the Holy Spirit thrill of living for something that's bigger than you and building a kingdom that will outlive your life. I, there's no tricks here, you guys. I want just a little bit of your trust so we can have real talk today about the one topic Jesus talked about more than anything else by far, money. Real talk about God and money 16 out of the 38 parables that Jesus told are about money and possessions. To give you a little bit of reference, in the Bible, the Bible mentions prayer 500 times. The Bible mentions money and possessions 2,350 times. Why, why do you think that is? I think it's because God knows how heavy money is. This is like 98 pounds. <laughs> Might be kilos, I don't know. This is gonna represent the weight of money that all of us are all too familiar with. 
that we all walk around with all the time. This is, this is the weight of serving money. This is the weight of expecting money to bring you the happiness you're looking for and the fulfillment your heart is looking for. This is the weight of confusion and discouragement at the end of every month when once again, where did the money go and I don't have enough left over? This is the weight of debt. This is the weight of fearing about your future when it comes to finances. By the way, this weight is the number one cause of divorce in our country, which begs the question, if that's true, then what is it doing to our relationship with God? Jesus said this in Matthew 6, verse 24. He says, nobody can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, somebody say cannot. That's the key word in this verse to me. You cannot serve both God and money. Notice that's not a command. It's an observation about life. Jesus didn't say, don't serve God and money. Jesus just said, you couldn't if you tried. You can't hold the weight of money and lift your, your hand to heaven and worship at the exact same time. That's why Jesus talks so much about it. That's why giving and the topic of generosity is the only place in all of scripture, Old Testament and new, where God says, try me and test me when it comes to your money. Try me and test me when it comes to this tithing thing, this giving thing, and see that I won't open the floodgates of heaven and blessing all over your life. I'm not stretching Malachi chapter three to mean something it doesn't actually mean. That's what it says, okay? So my question for you is, why would you wait to try God on this? We always wanna wait for that, that time in the future when I'm more able to try God on this whole giving thing. By the way, generosity is never something you just start doing when you can. Generosity is something you choose to be even when you can't. Why would you wait to try him on this? Don't you, aren't you carrying the weight of money now? Yeah? Okay, well then, couldn't you use some, some breakthrough in that area like now? Yeah? Okay, then doesn't now seem like the right time to, Try God on this, try doing this his way. I'm telling you, words like sacrifice and tithing and stewardship and giving and generosity, those words only sound heavy. But in reality, when they play out in your life, you wanna know what those words feel like? That's what it feels like. You wanna see that again in slow motion? Because when you do money God's way, it's on him. But as long as you wanna do this your way, that's on you. It's really hard to have peace and carry this weight at the same time. Why do you think God invented giving in the first place when everything is his in the first place? Like it's all his, you guys. Why would that God invent giving? He needs nothing from you. I say this all the time, but I'm gonna keep saying it because it's such a good point. When people say God needs my money, I'm like, how much money do you have? The God of the universe who makes stuff by talking? He needs your money? Wow, like, <laughs> please. Like, honestly, get over yourself in that sense. He's the God of everything. Does not need a dime from you. He wants your heart. That's why he created money. Jesus said, when I get your treasure, I get your heart. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart goes. You invest in Google later today, you'll be, you'll be amazed at how much your heart is now at Google. 
Where your treasure is, your heart follows. And God knows if I get your treasure, I get your heart. And when God gets your heart, you get his presence and everything that goes with it, including his provision. In Jesus' parable, the master who's leaving on a trip, he gives three of his servants three different amounts of money, of his money, according to their ability. Now, most scholars believe these bags of silver are like the modern-day equivalent of millions of dollars. So this is no small amount of money that we're talking about, okay? And he entrusts his money to them according to their ability. So for simplicity's sake, let's say he gave the first guy $5 million dollars. He gave the second guy $2 million, and he gave the third guy $1 million. And he says, do something with what I've given you. I'm leaving on a trip, and by the way, I'm coming back. In the meantime, steward what you have been given. The first guy takes the $5 million. He invests it and turns it into $5 million more. The second guy takes $2 million, and the Bible says he goes to work with it, and makes two million more. But the third guy, for whatever reason, fear, greed, scarcity mindset, I don't know, he takes the one million, he digs a hole, and he buries it, and he decides to play it safe. Now, a few observations about this parable. First of all, each of us is given a different amount, but all are given much. All are given much. And our calling is not to compare, but to maximize whatever it is that God has placed into your hands. So let's zoom in on verses 14 and 15. There's two things I want you to see in here. He called together his servants, and first of all, he entrusted his money, his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. So to sum that up, this will be on the screen behind me. God entrusts his money according to our abilities. So first of all, it's, it's his money. Everything you have was given to you by God. And you might say, well, I, I worked hard and I earned it. And I would say, absolutely, I agree with you, that's true. But there is a larger story at play that's also true. And that story is that you earned it with the talents God gave you in the very breath he decided for you to have. Like, you, you wouldn't be here if this God didn't decide for you to be here. Everything is his in the first place. Perhaps the greatest flex in scripture is Psalm chapter 24, verse one. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it and the fullness thereof. The world and all of its people belong to him. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything is God's and he entrusts us with his money according to our abilities. I used to think abilities. I would read that and go, okay, so God's divvying it out according to who's the most talented, who's got the most promise, who's the most up and coming, the best looking, the, the most potential. That's how God divvies out resources. But this is speaking of a very specific ability, your ability to steward money. In that same parable that's told in the Gospel of Luke, the grand finale, the conclusion of this parable, you probably heard this verse. Jesus says, those who can be trusted with a little can also be trusted with a lot. See, we wanna know, can I trust the church? 
Can I trust God? God wants to know if he can trust you. He does. Real talk about God, he's paying a lot of attention right now to how you handle your money. So let me ask you this question. How are you stewarding what God has placed in your hands? Stewardship, stewardship. I, uh, it's funny. This just turned into a stewardship message. Stewardship's like one of the least sexy topics you can preach about in church or listen to. Um, I feel like there's a category of those like least sexy topics that to God, he goes, those are my favorite. Those are my favorite. Stewardship. God loves stewardship. Heaven is drawn towards the heart of a good steward. And so it should be noted, this is a priority for God, stewardship. So just a few questions about stewardship. Just practically speaking, number one, do you have a budget? And not in your head. And don't give me this Excel spreadsheet with 10 line items on it. A budget is where you tell every dollar where to go so you don't wonder where it went. This question, less about greed, more about just carelessness. More about just carelessness, because we just, we start spending because we have to, and before you know it, we wonder where it all went. You guys, 65% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. 65%, I'm like, man, that's such a heavy weight to carry. So you miss one or two paychecks, and you don't know what you're doing? Like, that's such a heavy weight to carry. 65%. This is where I give a shout out to Financial Peace University that we're offering for free starting in January because somebody else paid for it and invested in our church. This doesn't require, guys, what we're talking about, this isn't talent. This is just a little bit of discipline. You don't have to even pay for it. Just go sign up after service and be here in January and February to receive just gold wisdom that will truly change your life if you let it. Because for those 65% of Americans who live paycheck to paycheck, for most of them, not all, not all, but most by far, it's not because they don't make enough. It's because there's a certain amount of carelessness involved. There's, there's no budget. There's no, there's no stewardship at all. Most Americans just, just live a little bit above their means because everybody else does. And before you know it, that just begins to add up and you're walking around carrying this all the time because now it's on you. And now it's a scarcity mindset where there's, there's never quite enough. And during the pandemic, Gucci and Louis Vuitton crushed it. Any guesses why? Stimulus checks because Americans who were already living paycheck to paycheck took their $1,200 and bought brand name purses and jackets to show off on social media because that's what everybody else did. And then went on living from paycheck to paycheck again, now with a little bit more debt. This is just a pattern, this is human. It's a pattern of the world. 78% of NFL players are in financial hardship by the end of their careers. 16% of NBA players go broke 12 years after they retire. One in three lottery winners are bankrupt in four years after winning the lottery. More money will not be the answer until you understand managing what you do have. So here's the mind shift. Here's the, here's the shift that, that puts all the ownership and responsibility on you. The reason that's good news is because that means you can now do something about it. 
and not waiting for somebody else to solve it or God to solve it. Here's the mind shift. Stop praying for money and start practicing stewardship. Because God and his blessings are attracted to stewardship. Because part of being a good father is knowing what your kids can handle and what they can't. My daughter Kinsley just turned three. I don't let her pour her own milk into her Cheerios. I promise you she will spill it every time. She's three. She can't lift the gallon. Part of being a good dad is knowing what your kids can handle and what they can't. Can God trust you with more? Are you stewarding what you have right now? So you're, you're not stewarding being an employee, but you want God to trust you to steward being an employer? Your parents blessed you with a, a college tuition, but you're cutting classes and failing, yet you want God to trust you with your dream career after you graduate? This isn't rocket science. It's you can't pretend to be a good steward. You are one or you're not. What are you doing with what God has placed in your hands right now? Once again, doesn't take talent. Just takes a little bit of discipline. So real talk for a second. If, 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 I, if you were God, would you trust you with more? Or maybe the better question is, based on your history with money, not your intentions with it, should God trust you with more? Because I believe he's searching right now for people who have mastered money in a sea full of people who, to some extent, are mastered by it. One more stewardship question. Have you made beep part of your life? I know this is a cuss word in 2023. This is the first time in five years I've had the guts to preach on it. But God did something in my heart this week. Have you made tithing part of your life? That's why I gave you a list of other churches and organizations to give to, and I mean it with all my heart. God's got this church, all right? I mean it with all my heart. At some point, you guys, we all need to come face to face with the real reason at the end of the day we don't give the way deep in our heart we know we should give. And it's not because we're mad at a church or don't trust it. We say that. But in the deepest, most hidden places and spaces of our hearts, it's because two things. We love money and we don't fully trust God. And that's human. That's why I love Kingdom Builders so much because it's true for me and my wife, Sam, as well. At the end of every year, we are forced once again to come face to face with those same two fears. Love money and don't fully trust God, even though I've seen him come through for me time and time again. And we have to re-decide, re-decide, re-decide. This is who we will be for the next 12 months. We're Weckonmans, we're generous. And we're not generous it's not something we do when we have lots to give. It's something we are even when we don't. Even when we don't. Tithe means 10th. It means 10th. It existed before the law was written. It was talked about by Jesus in the New Testament. It's a concept that God had just wired into his creation. It's part of the cadence of creation, much like the Sabbath. And the more that you start to understand, the more that those things are here for you and you ignore them to your own peril and you honor them to your own thriving. 
baked into the cadence of God's creation. So real talk about God and money. Biblically speaking, tithing is not as much about giving as it is about returning, not your last tenth, but your first and best tenth to God. To remind yourself of what Dave Ramsey says, I'm an owner of nothing and a manager and a steward of everything. What Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23 says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. And trust me, I know how crazy I might sound to a lot of you in here. To talk about living on 90% of a paycheck that's already not enough in Austin in 2023, like I get how crazy that sounds. And I know this church, this church is so generous and so many of you who are like, I, I wanna be generous. It just, it just doesn't make sense on paper and we say stuff like, like God, 10% is just so much and God would say, I know. I designed it that way, isn't that awesome? But God, like if I do that, I'm really gonna have to reshuffle some priorities. I'm gonna have to live different. And God would say, I know, I know. Couple of things, I bet if you started tithing, you would talk to God more than you ever have in your entire life. Where your treasure is, your heart is. I bet you would build your faith because of it. But also, also, I've been studying this a lot this week, trying to understand this concept. So here's the spark notes. Like all of creation since Genesis chapter three, that's the fall of humanity when sin fractured the, the picture perfect DNA of, of God's creation. We live in a fallen world. Money is part of creation. Money, money is fallen. Money itself has been, has been subject to the, the curse of, of sin. And when you return the first 10%, this is God's design. When you return the first 10% of it to him, God blesses the rest of it. So we say stuff like, God, you know what I can do with that 10%? And God would say back, do you know what I can do with that first 10%? Trust me, test me, try me, and find out firsthand that 90% with my supernatural blessing will go so much farther for you than 100% of it without it. And once again, you don't, that's crazy until you try it. You can never afford to tithe until you just start tithing. It's, it's crazy until you try it, until you try it. So real talk, I think God would rather you start tithing or at least take steps towards tithing before you give in a year-end offering. And the reason is because you, you can't give above and beyond until you first start returning what's already God's. And so maybe, maybe that's your step this year, and that's the challenge that God is putting on your heart. That's why we say it this way around here. We say, bring your tithes and give your offerings. That's just scripture. Bring your tithes and give your offerings. Guys, this is just a, generosity is a higher level of living that Jesus is inviting you into. This is no obligation. Jesus is not commanding this. This is not a salvation issue. You'll see Jesus preaching in the Sermon on the Mount in the same way that he says, he never actually says don't murder. He says, be free from anger in your heart. That's the invitation, the new covenant invitation. And by the way, living free of anger is a higher level of living than just don't kill anybody. And in the same way, Jesus invites you into a life of generosity that is a higher level of living than just put some cash in a basket because you should. 
And I just need to make sure the only reason you're not living at that level is not because nobody's called you to it. This is not a salvation issue, but make no mistake about it. This is absolutely a blessing issue. Living the blessed life, that's, that's, that's not just about finances, but it's something about them. Blessed to be a blessing, hard to be a blessing to others when you're broke. God wants to bless you so you can be a blessing. God wants to entrust to you. God wants to partner with you to change the world. All of his kids are loved the same, but not all of his kids are blessed the same. And the reason is because not all of his kids steward the same. I'm not stretching Jesus' parable. That is literally the point of it. Are you stewarding what God has given you? Because where he's from, the roads are made of gold. The universe is his. He needs nothing from you. And as far as everything he has to give you, you have not experienced everything he has for you, but you have experienced everything he thinks you can handle. Are you stewarding what God has placed in your hands? Because if God can get it through you, God will get it to you. If he can get it through you, he will get it to you. The question, I guess, is when it comes to money, when it comes to your treasure, can God get it through you or not? Are you a vessel of his blessing or are you a vault? Because I've learned something, the blessing of God's like a raging river with no shortage and it flows freely until it's blocked. Generosity and giving is basically just unblocking it, unblocking the blessing of God for you and everybody else in your sphere. And so if I could just be authentic for a moment in the name of trust, and you guys know me, I... Uh, I'm living proof pastors don't wear capes. I self-deprecate myself in every story I've ever told. I'm way more comfy doing that. I preach about my weaknesses every Sunday. Um, people relate way more to your weaknesses than your strengths anyways, and I, I don't mind just like being flawed publicly because I know And it's just like the vulnerability and it creates trust and people feel a little bit more free because of it. You know, it's funny, a couple months ago, I preached a message called Drug of Choice where I was very, very vulnerable about like a, a, a drug dependency and a battle with that. And God did powerful things with it. But it's funny, after a message like that, I'll hear all the time, pastor, that was so vulnerable and so authentic. And I appreciate that. And I'm gonna keep doing it. But I do wanna point out, authenticity is simply a fierce commitment to the truth, the bad and the good, weaknesses and strengths. So in the name of trust, can I be vulnerable and authentic about a strength? Um, this whole stewardship thing, this church is very good at it. We don't take ourselves very serious, but our budget and behind the curtain, we are very good at stewardship. In my personal life, so are me and Sam. We wanna get better, but we're good at this. And if I could just be real about this, our first three years of marriage were very, very hard for a few reasons. One of those reasons absolutely should have been money, but it wasn't. Should have been, we had none. That's frustrating, but it wasn't. And I go back to that season all the time and going from ministry internship to ministry internship, uh, making 12K a year on that, working part-time jobs on the side, living in small 
uh, apartments or at her dad's place for free while we saved up for a, a down payment on our very first condo in Littleton, Colorado, driving, driving paid off used cars and, and Sam, a receptionist at a nonprofit and working the floor at Forever 21. And, and then me finally getting a part-time gig at Red Rocks in Denver. Eventually it turned into a full-time gig, but then as soon as it turned into a full-time gig, God called us to move to Austin and be church planners. Um, I know this is relative. Well, I, thank you, I wasn't doing it for, for that. I'm not, I'm not trying to sound like I'm venting here. This is just like a story, this is my testimony. This is, I'm proud of it and it, it shows the glory for God because I, I know this is relative. I know every single one of us is so rich compared to most of the world. I know that, you should know that. But usually when it gets to this point in a sermon, even if the preacher's trying to be authentic, all of a sudden they get vague. And you're like, well, what are we talking? Like numbers here, pastor. Like, can I relate to you? I, I just wanna be real and relate to some people in this room. I did not make above 40K a year ever until just a few years ago, and neither did Sam. On paper, we should have thought about money all the time, but we never did. Because whatever the income, whatever the amount, we had a budget, or Sam had a budget. <laughs> and for every paycheck we have gotten since we said I do to each other, on June 27, 2014, the first 10% has gone straight to God and the other 90% was just always blessed. And I can't explain it. And I feel crazy sometimes sharing that kind of a story, but God just takes care of his kids who trust him with their treasure. It sounds crazy, but I know that this is real and I want it to build your faith and I want for you what I have experienced. I know how it feels to give 10% of basically nothing with mortgages to pay and babies on the way and yet still fall asleep at night in peace because you know God has your back because you're not carrying this weight of money where it's on you. You're doing this his way where it's on him. And I'm telling you, I, I will never preach how God chooses to bless. Financial fin Finances have something to do with it. So does peace and all the fruit of the spirit and opportunities and everything else that comes with the presence of God. It's up to him to decide how he wants to bless. But I will preach until the day I die that he knows how to take care of his kids who trust him with their treasure. He just does. Don't give him a timeline. Don't tell him this is the exact way I wanna be blessed. Just do this his way and let God, the God of the universe, take care of their, I'm not, I'm not crazy, you guys. I'm just an evangelist. And when I've experienced something that has changed my life, I, I can't sleep until I let as many people as possible know about it. Whether you give here or anywhere, you need you to be generous. And so does everybody else in the sphere that God has placed you in. This is what David says in Psalm 37, verses 25 and 26. He says, I once was young and now I'm a graybeard." I can just picture Ryan writing that in his diary. <laughs> Dear diary, I once was young, now I'm a gray beard. This is what David says at the end of his life. Not once have I seen an abandoned believer or their children begging for bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. You guys, I've got a surprising amount of gray hair for a 35-year-old man. Sam loves it though, calls me a young Clooney. I'm kidding, she's never said that, but she should start. <laughs> I know that I'm a young man. 
but I have already seen and starting to see more of what David is describing at the end of his life. I've lived a lot of life in the circle that I'm in because I'm a pastor. I get to watch a lot of you guys start to live in radically generous ways. I've got friends and family who live way more generous than me and Sam and their goals for us. I've led a lot of people through a lot of year-end offerings. I've seen a lot of families tithe faithfully, paycheck after paycheck, not knowing how God's gonna come through. I've seen those same believers go above and beyond and choose to live sacrificially and give in a way where they're, they're quite frankly screwed if God doesn't come through for them on the other end. I've, I've, I've witnessed a lot of this. I've seen people be generous and never have I seen those same believers begging for bread. God takes care of the generous. The lives of the stingy get smaller. I've seen it. The lives of the generous get bigger. I've seen it. It's a law God has baked into his creation. He just takes care of the generous. There's favor on their families and favor on their homes. Their kids are blessed to be a blessing. And more than that, they don't carry around this stupid weight of money. They walk freely and live lightly. And you can't convince me that it's not real. I've been at this generosity journey for about 10 to 12 years, but I'm just, I'm so, I'm not crazy. I've seen it again and again and again. That's why I don't have to ever beg you to give to this church. I want you to walk in freedom, the freedom that God has for you, not write a check to Red Rocks. I want you to tap into the more that God has waiting for you when you start to try him and trust him, not just put some cash in a basket because you feel like you should. God's got this church. He's done nothing but prove that for five years. This is about building the only kingdom that is unshakable. This is about generosity and freedom for you. The feeling of funding the kingdom of God and walking in the freedom of the lightness that comes with doing this God's way. All I have to do is present invitations to be generous, be bold, to preach about the one topic Jesus would never shut up about, and do my best to live as an example of a kingdom builder. Amen? Team, you can come up. I'll finish with this. I love this verse in Colossians chapter four. This will be on the screen. Tell Archie, See to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. And I love that verse because this is individual and corporate. So for you, like I think of the parable of the talents. We've all been given something different, but all of us have been given much. And I feel like the kid who was just given five. We all should feel that being born in this country. But even relative to being born here, I'm like, God, this church, like, I just feel like a kid who was given five and you were given, metaphorically speaking, a bag of opportunities, talents, resources, passions, time. And Jesus says, I'm leaving on a trip and I'm coming back. In the meantime, make something out of what you've been given. Fulfill your ministry. And in the same way, that's true as a church. There's a favor on this church. And God is saying, Red Rocks Austin, fulfill your ministry. Not Austin Stone's ministry, they're crushing that one. Not the Wells ministry, they're crushing that one. Red Rocks Austin, with what I've given you to do, fulfill your 
ministry. And I just want to take a moment and brag on God and brag on behalf of all of you because in five years, a little less than five years, this is what God has done through this community of people in Austin. 1,865 people have given their lives to Jesus. Come on. 571 people have been baptized, and this church, you, have given away $1,171,853.71 to the cent. But not just that. If you don't know, you're part of a bigger story than what's happening in Austin. Red Rock started back in 2005 in Denver. We got four satellite campuses in Denver, one satellite campus in Brussels, Belgium, four satellite campuses in, in correctional facilities in Colorado, and now in Texas. And now you're sitting in a location in Austin that exists as its own church beneath the covering of a greater Red Rocks family. And so far, this is what God has done through all of it in 18 years. 57,967 people have given their lives to Jesus and had their eternities changed. 10,324 people have been baptized and we have given away $16.8 million and we're just getting started. For whatever reason, God has just graced this church to make heaven more crowded by helping as many people as possible to know God, live on purpose, and change the world. That's the ministry he has given us. See to it that you fulfill your your ministry, like there's favor on this church. I feel like the kid who was given five and there's probably explainable reasons for that, stewardship and obedience, willingness. I feel like there's a big part of God who's like, if I do it through these knuckleheads, I'll get all the glory because it'll be the only explanation. I really believe that. We've prayed for it, but so have 30 other churches within 10 miles of here. All of us are given something different. All of us are given much. Our calling is not to compare it, but to maximize what God has given us. And you know, it's true about church plants or any kind of startup company. You got nothing to lose, so you just risk and you believe big. And usually what you see is awesome growth and fruit. But then somewhere along the way, you now have something to lose. And for a lot of churches, that's when you start playing it safe. And that's the day a church gets old. A church, uh, old is not an age, it's a spirit thing. And in Jesus' name, may this church never get old. We will continue to believe big and pray big and risk big and go for it. We refuse to take what God has given us and, and bury it in the ground. In the kingdom of God, caution is criminal and living radically generous and risking and going for it, when you understand eternity, might be the most responsible way you can spend your life on this planet. And that's what we choose, that's what we choose to do. The two most common questions I get all the time is, when are we getting a new building? And when are we starting a second location? If I could just speak into that for a second. We started a second location a few uh, a year and a half ago, our GBB location, the Lane Murray unit. Ladies, you are our second location. We always wanted our second location to be in a prison before it was in a next, the next suburb. And we've gotten to do that and see fruit 
And you'll find out more about that and everything else, practically speaking, next week. Um, we don't own this building. We have the best landlords ever, the Humane Society. This is kind of like the equivalent of living at home with your parents while you save for your own down payment. That's what this season is. And uh, it's been the best. Uh, we might be here for six more years. They do have the ability to tell us tomorrow, you got six more months if they decide to move into phase two of their construction. Um, so obviously we're looking, and if anybody has a building, that would be great. Uh, just to clarify, don't need a realtor. We don't need a realtor. We need a building. Um, it's so slim pickings in Austin, man, and real estate's so expensive. You know how that is, like, oh, let's have 10 realtors show us the same overpriced warehouse, you know? Um, I, I, I fully trust God. I think this is gonna be a God story that we're talking about a year from now. Um, for maybe replacing this so that we have a more permanent spot because you can't, if we got kicked out, we can't, we have so many people, we can't just put y'all in the elementary school down the street. Like, God, we got people to steward now, and he knows that. And I believe he's gonna speak through opportunities. Also, I bet you a year from now, I just have a feeling in my heart, I don't have specifics, but we will be in, like, well into the launch phase for location number three. And like, maybe that's north, maybe that's west or south or east. I gotta say all of them, you know, in case somebody here is like, I drove 30 minutes from the south, man, give me something. Um, I just believe God's gonna speak through opportunities. And meanwhile, while he does, this is what's been on my heart all year. I've waited until now to share it with you, but our team's been living by a couple of phrases. Number one is get ready. Get ready because opportunities are coming. But how many know they can come and you're not ready and so you miss them because you can't walk through that door? God's saying, get your church ready, get your faith ready, get your spirit ready, get your budget ready, get your stewardship ready, get your systems ready because when you copy and paste something, you better be sure the original that you pasted is exactly what you want it to be. So get, get ready because opportunities are coming. The only question is, will you be ready for it? So I just wanna put that out to you. Like, get ready, you guys. Help us get ready for this. And in the meantime, the other phrase he's given us is ring it out. Think of like a wet rag and you just sort of ring out every last drop. With what he's given us right now, this building, ring out every last square inch of what God has placed in front of you right now. Our parking team is ringing out that parking lot and every last square foot that they can find. Our kids volunteers are ringing out that space. A bunch of people up in overflow right now, ringing out, like adding more services, Saturday nights, ringing out what God has given us to steward because he loves it. When you take what you do have today, even though you're praying for that tomorrow, but you don't miss this and you steward it because we got a people to reach and a church to build. And we're gonna keep doing that with what he's been given us and we will never be the church that takes what God has given us and buries it in the name of playing it safe. There's too many people who are desperate for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Guys, we stand up. We're gonna worship. Um, we're gonna sing the, a song called The Blessing. I love this song. It makes me cry every time. And my prayer is, is that these words would simply be a prayer over your life and over your families and over this church family, this crazy gritty, faith-filled, generous community of people. 
in the middle of one of the cities, they say that's the hardest to start a church. But we've seen God save 1,800 people in five years. Man, like five years, man. My son, Will, he's five. I look at Will, he's the same age as this church. I'm like, that's a kid. That's just a kid, a little kid. This church is a little kid and all God has done and he gets all the glory. And I just believe we ain't seen nothing yet. So God, we love you. May your favor be upon us for a thousand generations. And may this worship and praise be music to your ears. In Jesus' name, amen.